Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Okay, now it's saying it's hearing me. Can you hear me now? Okay, can you hear me now? Oh, he says yes. Somebody says yes. Sarah says yes. Okay, hear you on the phone. <laughs> and the computer. Okay. So, yeah, they disconnected me just as the show started. <laughs> and I went back in and reconnected, but then they they said I was on the right mic, but uh, evidently I had to go to the wrong mic and then back to the right mic, and then it finally got me connected. So, uh, modern technical wonders. So, anyway, we're back. <laughs> so, anyway... Uh, okay, I'm going to shut down all these other things that I got going on in here. Um, and so that we're not interrupted. <laughs> so <laughs> put that on airplane mode. And uh, I had an email set up to send out so that other people would hear that we're doing the show. And uh, now i got to send it out. And uh, it's up here. Let's go to somewhere it says send. Okay, here we go. Sending. Send. Okay. So other people will join us here in a minute, hopefully, when they get this on, if they're on the computer, they they should know how to log in. And uh, now that that's gone out, uh, what we're going to do is talk about Acts today. And um, we finished uh, Matthew this morning, added more stuff and links to the side. Actually, during the show, I actually fixed different links that were on the, the side uh, panel. Uh, and a few typos and things like that. So it's constantly a work in progress. But we're, within nine days, we'll have all the audios for Matthew 28 up. And uh, we're going to start John. I'm going to have a, a radio broadcast on the 17th in the morning. I'm not even sure exactly where that is. I don't even know if it goes out live yet. Uh, but it's connected with Freedomizer. Uh, it's somebody who's on Freedomizer, and so they're going to have me on as a guest on the 17th. And so you can probably look at Freedomizer's schedule and find out when that is. It's a woman's name, Rosa, something or other. Anyway, I uh, just don't have it in front of me right now. I'm not going to go look it up. Um, 
what I'm going to do is uh, I thought I already had these open. So let's see, is that over here? Okay, we're all, I'm already starting the notes for John. I went through the entire chapter, uh, all the chapter, the entire book of John's last night. I got an outline of it up. Uh, that outline will be changing on a regular basis as we go through it. Uh, some of the pages I've already worked on a great deal, but there's a lot of chapters that I haven't done really very much work on at all, although I went through all of them last night, but I, I have just barely sectionalized the different topics, and that those sections will probably increase. But as we go through, John, now that we have Matthew under our belt, we'll be tying things back to Matthew. I've In the footnotes of Matthew, I have some of the Gospel of John, because you, you really, in order to get a full picture of the Gospel, you, we've got four Gospels to pick from. And of course, I will also go into the Apocrypha, but I'm not approving anything, proving anything by the Apocrypha. But uh, I'm just seeing what lines up because there is some rich information about the history of the time that is found in the the Apocrypha. So it's worth going and checking. Some reason or other, it's I'm looking to see if uh, my notice went out. Yeah, it did. So we're going to close that because I hear it dinging in with all kinds of notices. Uh, yeah, I've, I get thousands of emails a week, and uh, tell you the truth, sometimes I'm dazed before I look at them. <laughs> and I, I don't know, can you read the delete key on this computer? <laughs> there, there's at least I can see at least uh, a dozen keys that you can't read on my computer anymore. And I've been through numerous keyboards where I do that. I don't know if it's my fingers being rough or what, but they all disappear. But um, so we're going to go through Acts. Uh, for some reason, uh, I have an article on Urum and Thuman still open. I don't know why that's open. I've worked on that. Must have gone back and done something to it. But we're going through an awful lot of the uh, of the Bible, and I think in every single chapter that we look at, sometimes in almost every verse. We're looking at something that is distinctively different than what is commonly taught. And, of course, I know that people aren't going to believe it because I say it. And I don't expect anybody to. And I wouldn't want anybody to. Because you're not supposed to be respecters of persons. But uh, going through the Acts of the Apostles is not going to be any different. And we're not going to start at Acts 1. Uh, I have some tiny little bit of notes on Acts 1, but it's insufficient to actually start it. So we're going to go to Acts 2 because uh, I've done some extensive work on Acts 2, and I don't even know when we can get all the way through it. I notice I don't have headings, uh, but Acts 2 is not real long. Uh, or maybe I do have. Let's see. Acts 1. Let's see. We'll go to Acts 2. Did I put headings in? Oh, no, I do have headings in there. I even have a picture on the page. <laughs> so uh, there's a great deal in Acts 2 that people don't understand. Of course, in order to complement and bring this all together, we have to look at Acts 1. And, of course, you know, and when the day of Pentecost came, so that's the beginning of Acts 2, and so we're already at Pentecost. So what it says in Acts 1 is setting the scene for Pentecost. 
and, and it's very important. And of course, we just finished Matthew, and there's very little in Matthew about the resurrection other than the Great Commission, or what they call the Great Commission. Uh, and uh, anyway, the, the the Great Commission is to preach the gospel. Of course, it's my contention that 80% of the people don't really know what the gospel is. They have some words and phrases that describe the gospel, you know, believe in Jesus and and love Jesus and love one another and all these things. But what does that look like? How do you, how do you, you know, flesh that out so that we know exactly what it means? Because we know that Christ is very particular in numerous places telling us that a lot of people would be deceived. The apostles all talk about the fact that a lot of people will be deceived, even under a strong delusion. They will think they're Christians, they'll think they're saved, and they're not. Now, I know I repeat that a lot, but the reality is a lot of people don't, well, of course, that doesn't apply to them. That only applies to the other guys who don't go to their church. But what makes them so sure that it doesn't apply to them? Now, the fact is, if you're not humble enough to question or challenge all things or look at all things anew, like Paul says, then you're not going to know. I mean, there have been people on this very station that I'm broadcasting for the first time. This will go out as a podcast that were saying that Paul was a false teacher. And, of course, I understand why they say that. Uh, And some of the things they bring up are true, but it's not what Paul said. It's what people think Paul said. But then again, some of the things they think that Paul said that were not true is because they don't understand Moses or the prophets. They think they do, but, of course, the Pharisees thought they do. Pharisees were very sincere. Pharisees would die for their beliefs. But a lot of their beliefs were false. They were not correct. And so how do we know? How do we know for sure? And, of course, that's the question that we should all be asking every moment of every day. Now, if we're guided by the Holy Spirit, then the real question will become become when we think God wants us to do something, do we know by virtue of the Holy Spirit or do we know by virtue of the tree of knowledge? And, of course, this... You know, supposedly I'm talking to you about this from the tree of knowledge. I'm giving you information. That's why I have all these footnotes. It's a tree of knowledge. But I'm constantly giving credit to the Holy Ghost, to the Holy Spirit, that tells you what piece of information is true and what piece of information is not true. And, of course, I'm not going to go through and become that respecter of persons or be the person that you respect so you say, well, Brother Gregory said this is what it means. <laughs> Don't count on it. Now, I'm going to tell you what I believe at this time, in this space, in this moment. And hopefully, I'll be guided by the Holy Spirit when I talk to you. But then, how do you know you're not misinterpreting what I say? You, you need the Holy Spirit operating in your life. And we talked this morning, and we talked many, many times about things that will keep you from the Holy Spirit. And, of course, they're all the same things that Christ warned you about. Lack of forgiveness, anger, resentment, judgment of others, desiring vengeance. You know, somebody said, you know, to somebody in one of these TV shows, you're here to to take vengeance. Only people who don't believe in God want to take vengeance. 
If you really believe in God, you really trust in God, you know you don't need to take over the responsibility of vengeance. Vengeance is God's. Now, that doesn't mean that you won't intervene if somebody's about to do something terrible or if you know somebody's going to go down the road and do more things terrible that you might not try to stop them, and, and that may even include taking his life. But you want to be guided by the Holy Spirit, not by anger, not by resentment, not by self-righteousness, but the righteousness of God. So anyway, we're just going to, because mostly what I'm interested in is the last few verses of uh, Acts, and that's what I've done most of the work on recently. But this is the church, the called out of God, coming out at Pentecost in in viewed with the Holy Spirit. And this is the beginning of the church because the word church means the called out. Everybody who gets the baptism of these men is going to be kicked out. They're not really the church. They're the congregation of the people. The church in the wilderness was the Levites. Now, in, in the most general sense, it's all the people who look to the Levites to rightly divide the bread from house to house and and the Levites who received the contribution of the people and redistributed it and did their heave offering up to the priests. And, you know, of course, which priests do they give it to? Well, that's their choice. It's a bottom-up kingdom. If you're in a democracy kingdom or uh, indirect democracy kingdom or just a kingdom kingdom, <laughs> which is really what you have, it doesn't seem that democracy is working very good, because it doesn't seem that you have honest elections anymore. So your democracy is a sham. But of course, America was originally a republic. But it's long since everybody has abandoned the, the, the republic and entered into democracy so that they could take a bite out of one another through men who exercised authority. They wanted benefits. And of course, they're wondering what happened to all their liberty, and they're out there demanding their liberty. But your liberty was destroyed. Because you wanted to take a bite out of your neighbor. Because you wanted to turn your neighbor into a slave for you. Where he had to work and a percentage of his labor went to the government so the government could support you. I had this conversation with somebody in a little bit milder terms. Although they probably didn't think they were mild. But that is what's destroying America. It's not Joe Biden. Joe Biden's not destroying America. The people have been destroying America for 100 years. By abandoning their responsibility to their love their neighbor as themselves. It's that simple. Now, some people are hearing this maybe for the first time. Many of you are hearing me say it many, many, many times. But I tell you, the more you hear it and the more you begin to forgive and give, the more you will understand it. Because it's, cause I can, at best, write it in your mind. But the Holy Spirit can write it in your heart. And and when the, the Holy Spirit writes it in your heart and your mind, the word mind there really should be soul. Because it's writing it in your heart and in your soul. It's writing it on the walls of your mind, not just in the context, not just putting a slip of paper in the in the chambers of your mind that you might forget later on or lose track of. It's actually etching it on the walls of your mind, like in the days of Daniel when it was etched right on the wall. And so that's what you want. Because when it's etching on the walls of your mind, 
it will actually alter your DNA. Now, the DNA strands will be the same, but all the strands of DNA in your body are subject to the epigenetic DNA in your body, in each individual cell. And those epigenetic DNAs can turn on, you know, actually alter by touching the DNA, can alter the use of certain DNA in your body. And that actually is a part of what it means to be born again. But you can't do that. That That is part of the divine design writing itself in your body, in your flesh. But it does it through your spirit, through the tree of life. So anyway, that's all of the metaphysics of it. You don't need to understand all that. You just need to know to give and forgive. You know, and seek. And pray and watch. Because you're not the source. Neither is the tree of knowledge the source. It's the energy coming through the tree of life. And you want that energy to be coming from the Holy Spirit and not the unholy spirit. And there's a lot of characteristics of the unholy spirit. It's controlling, unforgiving, it's selfish. You don't want those. If you see those things in yourself, you need to sit down and pray and watch until it goes away, until the Holy Spirit comes back. And you have to do that over and over again because you're not going to get overwhelmed with it. But again, that's why I recommend people go back and learn that meditation. And suddenly there came a sound. So this was, Pentecost was fully come. They were all with one accord in one place. So one accord in one place. Those two different phrases. They're not redundant. They're, you could be in one place but not be in one accord. Or you could be in one accord but not in one place. Those mean two different things. Exploring what those mean is exploring the whole gospel. Because they weren't just in one accord with one another. They were one in one accord with Christ and the Comforter. And it says, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire. It wasn't fire. It was like as of fire. And it sat upon each of them. I know of situations where this supposedly happened today. I haven't seen that yet. I've seen the anointing of oils, but I haven't seen the cloven fire. <laughs> I look forward to it. When God is ready, I am ready. Of course, God isn't going to be ready till I am ready. And he's not going to be ready for you to receive that until you are ready. You don't. That's one of those decisions you don't have to make. And you can't make. And in verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. In other words, the Spirit was going to tell them what to say. Now, we barely can follow the Holy Spirit on turning left and turning right on a given day walking down this way, filling out this paper, not filling out that paper, doing this, picking up this, 
not picking up that. We can we can barely do that. Can we actually get to a state where God is actually giving us the words to say and, and speaking through us? Well, to some degree, that can happen all the time. Uh, in our, when I say all the time, to everybody from time to time in their lives. But you want to increase that see more and more. But you don't have power to do it. Only God does. So mostly this is about submitting to the power of that Holy Spirit. Verse 5. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under the heavens. And if you look at that word dwelling, it may not have meant dwelling there like full time, but was there at that time. Now, when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born, Parthians and the Medes and the Elamites and the dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia and Pontius and Asia and Phrygia, Pamphia, Pamphlia in Egypt, in all parts of Libya, about Cyrene, and strangers of Rome, Jews, and proselytes, Cretes, and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others mocking said, these men are full of new wine. So other men were hearing them, but it sounded like drunkards to them. They couldn't hear the words in their own language. It sounded like babble, like like they, they can't make it out. And they mocked them and said that these men are full of new wine. This is a lot like Sinai, when there was this thunder, the voice of God from the mountain coming down to them. Some heard the voice. Some heard it like thunder. Some were drawn to hear more, and some were afraid of what they heard. And many of them said, Moses, you go up and come back and tell us. Well, you see, that's a recipe for being a respecter of persons. But God is patient. He just will not persevere with you forever. So ultimately, everybody has to hear the Holy Spirit. Some will hear it better than others. Sometimes a message will come to somebody that hasn't gone to everybody else. So we see this in in different events where there were young girls prophesying that something was going to happen. And others bore witness to their prophecy. This is one of the things... Now, we just saw speaking in tongues 
didn't mean babbling in your local church. There has to be an interpreter. And, you know, I've told the story. I had a friend, the man of time. I always refer to him as, he was Jack. He's passed away now. But he would go into a church, and he was really good at faking, speaking in tongues. And he would do it, and somebody would stand up and interpret what he said. And he would say, I don't know what that person's talking about because I'm faking it. I just made this up. And he warned everybody, you're too quick to believe what you want to believe. You're not really testing. Of course, you don't you don't know that somebody's telling you the truth because they speak in tongues. Especially when they speak in a tongue nobody actually understands. These are the Egyptians, the Phrygians, the Parthians, they understood what they were saying. That was clear to them. They could hear it in the language of their birth. And they're all evidently hearing pretty much the same thing. And that's a, that's a pretty good witness. But if somebody stands up and babbles and somebody else stands up and says, well, what they're saying in an unknown language is this, 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 and this. That's, that's probably faking it. Or it's demonic. And I can't say in every case it's that way, but, you know, I've known somebody who spoke in tongues. Not all the time. They were shocked the first time they did it. They were a pretty devout person. And I, I, I wasn't there when they did it. But I talked extensively to that person and began to, and I actually shook hands. That was one of the tests that I do where you actually shake hands with somebody. And then I asked the Holy Spirit, what's going on here? And I, I believe that that person actually did speak in tongues. I could be wrong. I could be deceived. And besides, I'm just telling you a story. You don't know. But they were on an airplane. Somebody was sitting next to them. And they all of a sudden started speaking French. And they didn't know French. But they started speaking French. And the guy next to him was French. They understood them. They had a very interesting, in-depth conversation about things. And they said, you know, if somebody came up to me and was speaking French now, I probably wouldn't understand what they were saying. He says, but then I understood. I understood everything he said to me. He understood everything I said to him. But it was just between me and him. I don't know that I could do it again unless the Holy Spirit was guiding me. That's the way tongues are, that individual told me. It's not, it's not something you can conjure up. You don't speak French for a little bit, and then now you know French forever. I only knew it for that individual. Because God wanted me to communicate with that individual. And that's a, that's a pattern we see over and over again in the Bible. If, if Jesus knows that this person really doesn't want to tr- know the truth, they just want to mock you, they're not really seeking, he doesn't say anything to them. You tell me nothing, I tell you nothing. But when he talked to somebody and had a conversation with them, he was, he was sharing a message with them. Even Judas Iscariot. When he said friend, as we talked about this morning, he called him friend. didn't call him enemy. I know you have come here to betray me. He didn't say that kind of stuff, but he did know that. He said friend. Just like when Peter, he was going to pray for him. So how many enemies do you have 
that if they came to you, you would address them as friend. <laughs> and they're probably not trying to get you crucified. Can you do that? You know, I had a conversation with somebody in the Midwest and was saying, well, I've forgiven them. But when I think about it, I get angry and upset. <laughs> I said, that's a sign you haven't forgiven them. And I'm not picking on somebody because if you can think about things that people did to you bad and you don't get upset, you don't get angry, and you wish you could tell them that you forgive them, that's a better sign. It'll even be better when they come in the room and you can still say, <laughs> have to put your mouth where your money's at, so to speak. <laughs> because there's levels to forgiveness, just like there's levels to love. And yet, when you say, I, I forgive this person, what you want to say is, I want to forgive them. But I know I can't do it unless God gives me the power and understanding to do it. Because I, I am an imperfect soul. And I will always be an imperfect soul. Not as good but God. But God working in you can allow you to forgive them. And that's where you want to get to because that's the state in which God can write on the walls of your heart and your mind and alter your DNA and alter your ability to hear and to see and to speak because he can actually be in you. He's not going to force his way in. We hear about people possessed by demons. We never hear about people possessed possessed by the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Well, sort of. They kind of think that way. But it's voluntary with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit... It's not about controlling you unnecessarily. But it can guide you and it can take over control at times. So the mockers could not understand what they were talking about. They couldn't they wouldn't be able to decipher the codes of the Bible. With with a million AI computers, they couldn't figure it out. They won't be able to do it. But verse fourteen goes on, but Peter standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. Now, there's a number of different theories as to which Joel he's referring to. And uh, he could be referring to more than one. He could be referring to one specific one. It just depends. And we we had this with other, where we were looking in uh, other deals where we go back and look. What are they talking about? Which verse do they talk about? And there was controversy about other verses as well. But, you know, if we go down and look at Joel, you know, there's a couple of different verses. I mean, you look at chapter 2 of Joel, verses 28 through 32. And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions, difference, dream dreams, see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. 
and I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire, pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered for in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance as the Lord hath said and in the remnant from the Lord shall call. Now there's more to it, but those are the two verses that a lot of people make reference to. And we can certainly see that that does seem to have some bearing on what Peter's talking about. There's other verses they talk about as well, but I didn't put those in, or if I did, I I might have put them in in another location on the page, but I think we'll we'll go with those right now. We won't get into farther depth. There's layers to all these things. For one thing, the great and terrible day of the Lord. Well, for whom? For what time? When they say Jerusalem and Zion, they're talking Jerusalem over there. Jerusalem means double peace. Double peace means in spirit and truth. Is God writing upon your heart and spirit and truth, or is it you writing upon your own imagination? You see, th- those are two different things. One is Jerusalem, one is a fake Jerusalem. So, anyway, just a heads up on that. Verse 17, And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy in your Young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Pretty much what we just read in Joel. And on my servants, and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Okay, now that's a little bit different than what we just read in Joel. Although it's very similar, but it's specifically my servants, my handmaidens. It's not everybody's servants everywhere in the world. So there's servants and handmaids of God. And there are the sons and daughters shall prophesy. And the, the old men shall see visions. Or an old men shall dream dreams, and the young men shall see visions. That's important. He he kind of reversed it, Joel, and this. So it's a little bit different, but it, it's basically saying the same thing. But he goes on to say, and I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath. Blood and fire, and vapor of smoke. Now here this says vapor of smoke, and the other one it said columns of smoke. Now, I could do a word study of the Greek, but chances are it wasn't originally written in Greek. But we know that columns of smoke was what that pillar that the Israelites followed for years. So was that a reference in Joel towards more of those showing up? (laughs) I don't know. I'm just saying. 
Don't get locked into anything. Ultimately, the Holy Spirit will reveal itself, maybe in your dreams, <laughs> maybe in your visions. But I'm just saying that there's more going on here. And it, it is for that time, and it is also for our time, because history repeats itself. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. So, you know, when they talk about that notable day of the Lord, we, we can go to Matthew twenty four twenty nine and see also Isaiah thirteen ten, Ezekiel 32, 7. I don't have those in front of me. I could pop them up in a second. But I put them there in the footnotes so you can go and read them. But I'm going to keep on going through this. I can imagine putting more headings in here, and I might do that later when I go through the recording. But uh, to help you find your way in, in this. But ultimately, we're trying to get down to in the 40s, so we'll keep going. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, do you think calling on the name of the Lord Lord is saying Jesus, or maybe some people who are uh, Hebrew spellers were going to say Yeshua or Yehoshua, or the name of the Lord could be Yahweh or Yadevahe, just saying the letters. Or maybe calling on the name of the Lord is calling upon the character of the Lord, that you come in the name of the Lord. And you come to serve and to save others, not to save yourself. So anyway, just a heads up. Food for thought when you're praying and watching. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which... God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, because many of these people saw the miracles. There's some there that probably didn't. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. So he's talking about Jesus being crucified and slain. Whom God has raised up, having loosed the pains of death. He couldn't be held by death. You want to get to that state. <laughs> but you're not going to raise yourself up. You have to start giving all credit to God all the time. You just have to submit to God. Like you know, Gideon and Joshua, though you may slay me, I shall serve him. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, and I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in that hope. See, one of the things that goes on in our body is that we're we're never at rest. We're in conflict because there is conflict in us. 
And your body is reacting to that conflict. On a cellular level, on a microcellular level, even the microbiomes in your gut are reacting to your spiritual demeanor. It certainly acts to your, reacts to your mental demeanor when you're frightened, when you're scared. Adrenaline is released. You can sit in front of a scary movie safely on your couch. Watch the scary movie, and it can actually cause you put one of those blood pressure cups on your finger, and you'll actually see it change at different parts. And you can try to resist, but, you know, the fact is, is that you are affected by what you see, what you hear. Well, your body is also affected by what you think and what you do. When you act selfishly, the spirit of selfishness enters into you and it regulates your body. When you act and live as a parasite, parasites are encouraged in your body. Now, there are natural ways to get rid of the parasites, but nothing gets rid of the parasites like the Holy Spirit. So, yeah, we can do things, and of course, we should take care of our bodies, and, and just as, like we take care of a garden, just like we take care of one another. But even our bodies are like metaphors, but they're gifts, so we should not shun the gift. We should take care of it, but nothing will take care of it better than the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit only comes when you come in the name of God. So again, what does that look like? So I'm going to go back here to, uh, let's see, where was he? Uh, Verse 26. I'm going to start there again. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, According to the flesh, not according to the spirit, but according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He's seen this before, spake of of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. Now, you could create whole doctrines around that. But what he's trying to say is that Jesus was the highest son of David and that he came back and that he, even though killed, going to Sheol's, which is the place of the dead, you know, don't write doctrine into that. I'm just saying this metaphorically, that Christ supposedly entered into hell, entered into the grave but was resurrected out of that grave. There's two words in that we find in Hebrew and in Greek that can mean hell. One really means grave, and the other one means 
a place where trash is thrown and and burned up, which, of course, it has that name because it had an earlier meaning, where it was evolved over time. But keeping this in the metaphor so that you can understand the spirit of this, I make reference to that. But now we're saying receiving the promise in verse 32, this Jesus had raised up whereof we all are witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having receiving of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. So, this Holy Ghost, that's the shedding you want. <laughs> they talk about, you know, the the mRNA, which uh, through transcription can alter your DNA. Now, they're they coming out with more things that will alter your DNA. And, and the interesting thing, the most interesting thing when I was reading about this in a scientific report out of Japan uh, that God led me, that uh, they're saying that one of the advantages of this new DNA uh, vaccine is that you don't need any kind of big injector. Now, there wasn't much of the fluid that they were injecting in in the mRNA, and they diluted it quite a bit. So even though that they were only about a small fraction of what they were diluting or injecting was necessary to do what they wanted it to do, <laughs> whatever that was. But uh, this new DNA that they've come up with, which they think is wonderful, of course, they probably believe in global warming, too. Um, they uh, they said you don't need hardly anything. Just a pinprick. Just a tiny little scratch. They can get this DNA in your body, and it will start to manufacture a new DNA that will spread through your body. What's your defense for that? You could take more zinc. <laughs> no, I'm not against taking zinc. Or I was trying to think of some of the other things you take along with zinc. For some reason, it escapes me. But uh, uh, but anyway, uh, the uh, somebody out there is saying it. They'll probably type it in in the chat room. <laughs> we'll see. But anyway, uh, so nobody's saying they don't hear me. I went back there to check. I don't see anybody's hand coming up. Yeah, if you call in, I'll give you the number. Uh Yes, call in, host pin, host call in. I think this is the number, 319-527-6208. So if you're listening online, you can actually enter the chat room. And you can ask a question there and just put Gregory in the chat room, uh, you know, in your question. And then I'll, I'll try to read it when I come back there again. And if you want to ask a question on the phone, call in. That was the number, 319-527-6208. 6208. So you can call in there and then you press one and and I'll see your hand go up and I'll try to get to you. So if anybody does have a questions, but we're going to keep going through this. So I got to run back to wherever I was at. Where was I at? Here. <laughs> I got so many things open as usual. Here, are, here we are. So Okay, I slid down too far. I lost my place there. 
not going to leave them in hell. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David. David. David is dead. Basically, that's what he was saying. And yet Christ was born from him. So he's trying to interpret this thing that was given to David. Now, I, I don't believe David's dead in the grave now. But I, I can't. I'm not putting this out as a gospel. Somewhere David's alive in some form or another. And uh, because the kingdom of God is not for the dead, it's for the living. And as much as David was a man after God's own heart, wherever David is, David is somewhere. And, you know, like the like I said this morning, according to, we know that people were, according to the gospel, that people that were supposedly dead were now alive, walking around in Jerusalem. That's what they say. They don't tell us who they are, but in other Gospels, they tell us, they give us names. But these are Gospels outside of the Bible of Vesuvius. Now, are they accurate? Are they true? I don't know. I'm just saying that this, these are other reports. But the, the, what makes a difference to your salvation is whether or not you submit to the will of the Father and the Holy Spirit is allowed to enter into you because you're not judging and you're not taking a bite out of your neighbor and you're not trying to create doctrine and control your neighbor and, and you become forgiving and you give them the power of judgment to God, then God will give you. Because and one of the things you have to do in order to bring that about is hear the cries of your neighbor. You certainly can't be out there enslaving your neighbor for your purposes through legal charity and men who exercise authority. You have to get away from that. In order to get away from that, you're going to have to come together. And you may have to do it while you still pay your tally of bricks, but now you're going to be creating this alternative system. That's going to take some overtime. Fasting from laziness. Fasting from neglecting one another. So you you have to be turning this around. And that's one of the ways to do it. In verse 32, this Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he hath shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. So what they're doing, he's giving full credit to Christ, to God, and to the Holy Spirit of God. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he hath himself, the Lord said, unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand, until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, we'll read about things as we get through, you know, go go through, you know, uh, Acts 6, and that, that that particular statement was magnified by events that said, oh, and that's not just talk. The Lord and Christ is ruler. You know, I mean, like you like where the the guy said that he was king, and his belly ruptured open because no, you're not. And he says, "I sinned against man and God." 
And he knew that, no, you, you don't assert Christ. Now, Israel and Jerusalem are not geographical places. They're spiritual places. The geography of God is in the hearts and minds of men. And those men wear their footsteps. That's the kingdom. And if you go against those men, the judgment of God can come upon you. This is how we bring judgment upon the world. That they're going to go against you. And, and, and count on it. But when they come against you, and God is between you and them, then they're in trouble. If you run out ahead of God, you're in trouble. So I'm laying the groundwork in a little bit of a metaphorical picture, but you're going to have to check yourself. So this is this is where we have to go. Is that therefore let all the uh, the, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. And that's a real thing, both the Lord and anointed. But what did he do? What did Jesus do? He empowered us to come in his name to the rest of society. Because he's a king that's not going to micromanage and rule over us. We have to rule over our own hearts in spirit and truth. And in order to know how to do that, we're going to need the Holy Spirit. But that's going to be an internal Holy Spirit. It isn't going to speak to me and then I tell you what to do. It's going to speak directly to you. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? See, this is is where everybody goes. They want somebody to tell them what they should do. So what is Peter going to say? Then Peter said unto them, repent, which we know means think differently. There's a link right there on the page that will take you to an article to give you a little bit better intellectual perspective of repent. But what that looks like, how do you know you repent? That's not being sorry. That's thinking a different way. I can't tell you how to think everywhere. I show you the patterns of what you should be looking at or hope to see, but only the Holy Spirit can tell you what to think. It's different than what you've been doing, but it's the Holy Spirit that's going to tell you what to think. And it should follow those same patterns. And it says, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So it's people all over the world, but far off may also refer to in time. But what did he say? In the name of Jesus Christ. And what does that mean? In the character of Jesus Christ. Because the word name means not only the spelling of a word. That would, the letter kill us. 
but the spirit of Jesus Christ. And when they say name of Jesus Christ, they talk about the spirit of Jesus Christ. For the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Nothing in that phrase about water. Baptize every one of you in the name, in the spirit of Jesus Christ. You have to immerse yourself daily in the way of Christ. And you're going to have to ask the Holy Spirit what that looks like for you. So I'm just kicking the ball back in your hand, and in your court. And that's exactly what Peter just did. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourself from this untoward generation. Well, I don't know if that generation was as untoward as our present generation. <laughs> we had a really crazy generation coming up here. But if you want to save yourself from that, Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I'm just giving you a little bit better picture of what that looks like. Then they that gladly received his words were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Now, a lot of people reading that is going to say, well, they got baptized. But yeah, they got baptized with water. Because there's often an outward metaphorical symbol of being baptized with the Holy Spirit. It's very clearly that both were referenced here in this say paragraph. It it could mean that these people are actually receiving the Holy Spirit to some degree or another. Remember there's a lot you know the servants and maidservants and everybody is going to receive some of this Holy Spirit. Even their children. and But nowhere has he yet talked about water, but the baptism of water is an outward sign. It's a metaphor. We don't want to unmower the metaphor because you can get all wet. You get baptized with water, but you didn't repent. And the Holy Spirit is nowhere around you. And of course, we'll see this with the baptism of Constantine. Many people were baptized with the baptism of Constantine, but they did not repent because within a few days, they're receiving millions and millions of dollars and and property and buildings and everything else from a man who killed his own partner and annihilated, assassinated all of his family, all of his children, his wife, his cousins, everybody, anybody related to him died. Because he didn't want anybody, and so therefore all that property was just sitting there. So now he took over all that property, and he had lots to give to the new church, and they took it. Now, real Christians wouldn't take that, because they don't take blood money. They aren't creating a city of blood. Constantine was creating a city of blood. He already had a city of blood. Now he was setting up a church to serve the city of blood. And he was giving them blood money in order to do it. So I shouldn't have to go into all the other stuff about, you know, uh, Ambrose and and some of these other guys and and the nonsense that came out of them. But I do. Because, I mean, it's like loading a cannon with grape shot. <laughs> you know, you're, you're not going to need all that grape shot. 
some of it's just going to get stuck in the in the boards of the ship and they're not going to do any damage but you never never skimp on the grape shot <laughs> but you know you can't put too much in and blow your cannon up so just keep that in mind as well just a heads up let god tell you how to load the cannon but i'm supposed to put all this stuff down if you go over in the side panel you'll see links to uh, the bondage of Egypt was socialist uh, was a socialist system uh, where a portion of the labor of every man was taken by force by government by men who exercised authority and Christ came uh, to Jerusalem oh I see a typo there <laughs> to Jerusalem note to self fix that it's not top Jerusalem but to Jerusalem to build a house of charity. So Christ came to build a house of charity supported by free will offerings. Same as Moses. And because uh, they had the same message. You know, there they are talking about what, what's coming. They're on the same side. Elijah as well. Christ wasn't that different. Now Christ sealed what he did in his own blood. And of course, really Moses did something similar over a longer period of time. He took, you know, the slings and arrows and, and mockery of all the people he was trying to save. And he just gave his whole life over. And, and uh, you know, his wife and kids went away. I mean, he sacrificed a lot to save these people. And then they were willing to betray what he was telling them at a moment's notice. And he just came back to serve them some more. And, and he came to bat for them. Will you come to bat for your enemy? For those who have betrayed you? Can you do that? You can't do that without Christ in your heart. And that's one of the barometers to tell you whether or not your conscience has awakened or not, which is, you know, this whole section here. And now when they heard this, they were pricked. Their conscience was awakened. And this morning I talked about this this uh, awakening uh, of America, the reawakening of America. Are they reawakening unto what America made what made America great, which was the fervent charity of Americans who got up every morning, did their work, cared about others, improved their community, not just for their own advantage. Now today you can go to all these cities. I mean, John Stossel does reports on it all the time where your board of directors or your city board is full of craft and corruption, taking kickbacks and slipping money out. And I mean, I could tell you stories just recently in our own community where, where there could be millions of dollars missing, or at least not where it's supposed to be. And guess who it is who's finding out where it all is at? <laughs> well, it's it's one of my sons or daughters. <laughs> so they're dealing with uh, that corruption. And there's always there's always a purpose behind it. But it's to awaken the people who have let this all happen on their watch. I mean, we're in, again, it's not Biden. It's not even FDR's fault. It's not even LBJ's fault. I mean, they're, God will... They'll deal with them. I don't, I don't, you know, FDR never calls me. <laughs> LBJ never called me. Uh, Obama never calls me. 
Jeez. But uh, I'm talking to you. It's our fault. Because we weren't seeking the kingdom. Establishing the kingdom. We weren't doing what the early Christians did. And the modern Christians are not doing what the early Christians did. And so everybody should be working to get this message out to everybody. To find out what they did. And of course this Acts is leading up to that. Of course now a lot of people just stop. Well we speak tongues in our church. (laughs) But that's why I said it's not just babbling. And there's a lot of people faking it. And we don't know that it's necessarily the Holy Spirit. How do we know? James tells us, by what you're doing. Are you still coveting your neighbor's goods through the men who exercise authority? Are you taking care of all the social welfare and all the widows and orphans of your community without going to the men who exercise authority, who take away from your children's future by borrowing money? Are, are you using those men or are you using the ways of God? Are you walking in the ways of God and the ways of righteousness or are you looking for the wages of unrighteousness? That is really nothing more than taking a bite out of your neighbor and coveting your neighbor's good, your neighbor's sweat, your toil. Very clear. I know you hear me say it all the time, but the fact is you know that millions of people out there could hear this and they won't hear this. They'll think like, oh, he, I, he's just babbling. I don't know what he's talking about. But it's not enough for you to hear it. You have to act upon it. And the best way to act upon it is to become a team. Every congregation is a team. They are the maidservants and the servants of Christ. And they have an opportunity to be a part of spreading the Great Commission. So Peter said, repent, be baptized, and all these people were baptized. And then, of course, we know they were also kicked out of the social welfare system that had been run through the temple. And now they were going to have to take care of one another. Fortunately, they were organizing themselves in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. They were creating a network which we see Paul using. But a lot of you are not. So what's the solution? What's the answer? What are we doing? Are we coming together? People listening to this, don't go to preparingyou.com or hisholychurch.org. Join the network because a lot of other people are listening to this and try to form congregations, even if those congregations have to be formed by phone calls, and then start contributing on a regular basis so that there can be breaking bread and prayer and, of course, watching, and continuously doing it, then you're you're not going to get anywhere. You're not going to get any closer to the kingdom. Because remember, the Corban of the Pharisees was making the word of God to none effect and moving people farther and farther away from the Holy Spirit. So when they saw all these miracles, the first thing they wanted to do is kill Christ because he was making them look bad. But the word Corban comes from a word that means to draw near. So the the word for sacrifice comes from a word that means to draw near. That's how the Holy Spirit lists where it wills. But it will draw near you if you are immersing yourself physically in the Corban of Christ. You have to immerse yourself 
in the name of Christ, in the way of Christ. And then the Holy Spirit will draw near you at its own will and according to its own will. We can't conjure it up like they conjure up demons or genies that you often can't get back in the bottle. (laughs) The Holy Spirit listens where it wills. And when it comes to see you, you don't want what it has to say to you to be like hot coals. Because you won't listen. You may not even hear. It may, you may be all confused about what you're hearing. So that's why I, I recommend the meditation because it helps you to learn to be still and to know. But to know requires that you watch. And to watch requires that you fast from coming up with an answer yourself. Well, you write your own doctrine based on your knowledge. Now, let God write the doctrine. Let let God write his graffiti upon your heart and upon your mind. Because it's a beautiful picture. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, what their teachings are, and fellowship, And in the breaking of bread, the dividing of bread, and in prayers, that's, you know, what they desired. They were continued steadfastly. And and when we look at that word, which is proskaterio, which is actually several words brought together, uh, you know, there's a preposition and even the word carterio is from two words, although it means steadfast. And of course, now even in the English, that's two words: stead, fast, <laughs> stand fast. You know, coming together, be persevering. That that's what it's talking about. The prose is kind of a preposition to the word, but together it makes this word. That means continue, continue steadfastly. It's it's translated a number of different ways. As a matter of fact, we're going to see it again in the next couple of verses that we're really going to get into in, into depth. So it, it does mean persevere, and of course Christ said to persevere, and this is you know one of the words that we see that is saying to persevere, and they persevered in the apostles' doctrines, which was to live by faith, hope, and charity. Not to eat at the tables of the men who exercised authority, because well, clearly that was part of the doctrine Christ gave them in their preaching that doctrine, because they just said many more things they said. Well, what they're saying is, like what Paul says, I preach Christ first. So if you remove what Christ said, and I've seen pastors do this on purpose, they say, well, the, Christ said that, yes, but he said that before the crucifixion and resurrection, so it doesn't apply anymore. Are you crazy? <laughs> Are you stupid? No. They just don't want to see the truth. They want to embrace the darkness. They don't want to admit it. Christ knew where he was going. There's nothing that Christ said before the crucifixion and resurrection that was made null and void by the crucifixion and the resurrection. Christ was consistent from the time he was little to the time of the crucifixion and beyond. 
So the Ten Commandments did not go away. The laws that were made up by the Pharisees by misinterpreting the the Old Testament, those went away for those who were kicked out of the system. And those who got the baptism of Christ were kicked out of the system. So making a public display of the baptism of Christ got them kicked out of the system. It doesn't get you kicked out of the system. You can still have that public display. That's fine. But you and I and everybody listening should know that the power of baptism comes when it's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that also will mean the baptism of fire because you will be tested by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Because if the Holy Spirit entered into you and you're not ready, it will be like you're on fire. I mean, it will hurt. It may even hurt a little bit when he, when he comes to you. There, you you know, when you're meditating, a lot of people report to me when they're meditating that they were meditating. They said, all of a sudden, tears started running down. I don't even know why. I was just overcome by sadness. And I said, was it like all sadnesses, all disappointment? No, no, it wasn't. It was sadness. There was definitely tears. I didn't know why I was crying. But it didn't. It, it didn't hurt like other things. It didn't paralyze me. It actually, afterwards, as it was released, I felt a, a weight lifted off of me. But I don't know what it was. It says, well, the only way you would know what it was is the Holy Spirit told you. Because you're not eating of the tree of knowledge. See, these weights will be lifted off you, and you don't even need to know what that was. God will rot the changes in you. You don't need to know. You may feel something when that happens. But you don't necessarily have to know. You don't have to remember, you know, that this was the time that I I, I beat up that, you know, uh, I was trying to think of who was it I beat up when I was a little kid. First name was Bobby, but I'm not remembering what his last name was. <laughs> Uh, well, I, I beat up Randy Fox. I remember that. <laughs> he's got to be in his 70s now, too. I don't know if he's forgiven me. Uh, I took a bit of a beating in that whole fight, too. But but uh, anyway, those were things of the past. I'm at peace with that now, as far as I know. If there's more to be dug up in the bottom of my heart, I will let God dig it up and show me. You know, but, you know, when I first started meditating, there were a lot of things that bubbled up, a lot of things that would try to distract you. But, of course, I was meditating since I was a small boy. Because partly, somebody taught me a meditation. They didn't even know that was really a meditation. But, you know, I was so sickly as a child. So I was supposed to die any day. Uh, and so they taught me this to help me so I wouldn't die. But actually, it helped me spiritually. And I've used it ever since, and now I put it down in a page on meditation. And uh, I should revisit that because I've learned so much more that I could probably add to it. But it's basically there. And really, it's not what I add to it that's going to make a difference to you. It's what the Holy Spirit adds in your life. So now we come up on the verses, which is why I wanted to go to Acts altogether. Although 42 and 43 and 43 is you know fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs 
were done by the apostles. And, and there's two words there, ter, terata and simia. Simia is signs. Uh, terata back then was translated wonders. But today, if you put it in probably any translator, it will come up monster. So if you had them translate that verse, I just did it this week, and just to see how which I trying to find out which one was good if it wasn't because yeah, because this is this is Greek from way back then, and the Greek today is different. But that word that was translated wonders at one time it meant astonishing things. It's now all of those translators translate it monster. <laughs> so it's maybe morphed over the years. I don't know modern Greek very well. So I don't know why they all turn out that way. But there's other words that we're going to look at. And on the page at Preparing You, I have all these words broken down with footnotes so you can take a look at them. And uh, there's phrases in here. And this is where a lot of misinterpretation comes. It's not as bad as Romans 13, but it is an important one. So I say in here, well, let's go ahead and read these verses, then we'll go through the breakdown. And all that believed were together and had all things in common, all things common. And people say, well, they were socialists because <laughs> they owned all things common. That's not what the Greek says, and we'll look at that. But all those who believed, believed what? The doctrines of the apostles. But that's what they were just talking about. Were together. How were they together? They were in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Because now they were going to have to create a social welfare system based on love instead of based on force. You know, you can't do that if you just sit in your house listening to audios. You actually have to connect. And, of course, you can say, you know, I had somebody just today talk about, well, you know, we have to be charitable to the people like we hire and the people in our community and all that kind of stuff. No, you don't have to be just a little charitable. you got to take over the whole job of charity if you want to be a free nation. You've got to be halfway dependent on the men who exercise authority and do a little charity on the side. That ain't going to cut it. You can't eat at both tables. You can't serve both masters. Now, you may still have to serve that master, but you don't expect anything back because he didn't have anything back to give you. There's not The government doesn't have a single dime to give you. It is bankrupt. It was bankrupt back in 1933, but then it brought in a lot of assets. At that time, we would call them your grandparents. <laughs> they became assets. Your parents became assets of the government and we know their assets because at that time they started having to pay income tax and nobody paid income tax before 1933 except for fiduciaries of corporations because corporations have no inalienable right to their labor and fiduciaries of corporations can get paid huge sums of money far beyond what their labor was because they're actually engaging in the profits of the corporation and the income of that person they have made a person called a corporation and so they're what they're making is not the product of their labor which they had an inalienable right to it's income tax on the corporation which is a product a, 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 a creation of the government 
and the people who, you know, made the charters. The corp, the government is a corporation. A lot of people think it. What was it? Eighteen seventy? Was it seventy nine or seventy five? I forget the date. Uh, that they changed the Constitution of the United States to a corporate charter. They altered it then. No, they didn't. Well, they did, but they didn't. You know when it became a corporate charter? Back in 1790. (laughs) It's a corporate charter. You know how come I know that? Because I read it. It's a corporate charter. And who created it? I mean, because a corporation is two or more people gathered together for a particular purpose under a pre-existing authority, as if it was one person. Well, that's the Constitution back there in 1790. That, that's what they were writing up. And what was the pre-existing authority? The people? No, no, not really. Not, and none of you think the people are all the people of America. They, they didn't write it up. They didn't sign it. They didn't even approve it. It was never even submitted to a vote. So we the people, when you, you read we the people at the top of the paper, you want to find out who we the people are? You go down to the bottom of the paper because they all signed it. That's the people who created it. But they did all this to form a more perfect union. They didn't form a more perfect union. They just, we're people of the United States from all the states united. Okay, small u. Doesn't matter to me. It's fine. There may be a little bit of clarification in that. But that's who wrote it up. That's who we the people was. But that's not the authority. They're still going to need the authority. Who's the authority? Was it put to a vote of the population? No. So they're not the authority. Was it put to the vote of the states? Well, sort of. But how did the states really ratify it? Because the states were already under a thing called the Articles of Confederation. And they couldn't create or add to one line to the Articles of Confederation without unanimous consent. That's not what they were doing. They were walking away from the Articles of Confederation, and they were creating something entirely different. And they didn't unanimously agree, and they implemented it. So in one sense, it's illegal, but in another sense, it's not. But it's not a contiguation. It's something different. And how did they give it authority? The only thing that they gave authority to is they elected senators and congressmen to go represent them. Now, the people did repre- you know, elect congressmen through an electoral college kind of setup, president, pretty much the same way. There's been some variations from those first days. But they only had a very limited authority, and that's why they wrote this corporate charter for the United States government, is that they were only to do certain things. But, you know, when you create a golem, sometimes it develops a mind of its own. (laughs) And that's what they were doing. You go read our article on golem. They were creating a golem with the United States Constitution. Well, the Bible tells us that we should write a constitution if we want to have somebody, an executive officer, somebody who can 
make executive decisions, that we should create a constitution and write it up and read it to them every day. And, of course, that's what it says in Deuteronomy. How many people are constitutional scholars and think that the Constitution is a biblical document, even have a slightest idea what it says in Deuteronomy 17? They don't. And now you say, well, that's Old Testament. Well, Moses is in the New Testament talking with Christ about things to come. And Moses wrote Deuteronomy. Well, at least that's that's the consensus, and I, I'm okay with that. But I know this in spirit that the requirements in Deuteronomy are very important if you're going to write a constitution to have to control somebody who can exercise authority. Very important that you do that, and it's very important that you don't make that man your benefactor when he exercises authority to force the contributions of the people for your benefit. Very important, but that's farther down the line. That came much later. That that wasn't even in place in the time of the Civil War. The idea of it was creeping in, but that's again why, which I mentioned this morning, why I wrote the article of, and there's probably more examples of it, but I thought that that was a pretty good place to start, was the Davy Crockett article. That the American citizen, that's the, the hero of the story, not Davy Crockett. <laughs> it's the the American citizen, not U.S. citizen. The American citizen living on his land, probably in fee simple, who says that, no, governments are not in charge of charity. We are. And, of course, he knew that the Bible was written to be the the guidelines for the government of the people, for the people, and by the people. But he knew in order for that to maintain, the people still had to take care of all social welfare. It shouldn't be done through the government. It can't. That is a poison. I just explained that this morning to somebody. If you go back to our article, you know, they were thinking, what, the age of enlightenment in the 1700s and everything, and we began to realize, you know, in the 1600s and, and the 1700s and, you know, people like Thomas Jefferson and uh, John Locke and all these guys started thinking, you know, that they were first getting the idea that people had to write to the exousia, <laughs> the right to liberty, the right to make choices. And uh, this was an inalienable right given to us by God. Well, if you think that that was first discovered by the age of enlightenment, you missed a couple thousand years of history. <laughs> and I, you take it back to to uh, to England, the 90s. And, uh, you know, that lady who supposedly rode down the street <laughs> on her horse. Yeah. No, that's, it's a, that, that's a different story, which we have. You can go look that up. Uh, it's on the cover of the Free Church Report, and inside there's a there's a, a, a talking about the cover, telling what she was actually saying. She was saying that for the government to tax the people to take care of the needy of society was poison to society. And you think, well, okay, so it goes back to her that she was the one who awakened us to that. No. Go back to 150 years before Christ, when Polybius says that if you get an appetite for benefits and the habit of receiving them by the rule of force, 
you know, at the expense of others, depending for the, upon your livelihood on the property of others. Socialism, one purse, which of, if you go back another thousand years, the Proverbs are telling you the same thing. So no, the Age of Enlightenment was a spark of enlightenment in generation upon generations of enlightenment. All the time, from Noah's Ark, from Adam and Eve, uh, up to Abraham and Melchizedek, that this kingdom of God has been held by a torch from generation to generation, by somebody from generation to generation. And I want it to go into your generations and into your children's generation because it's not going to die. You probably are. But that kingdom is not going to die. And, of course, that gives us the opportunity of laying down our life for the next generation. This is why death is in the world. It's so that we will learn the lesson. If we just live forever, we would never take the time. We, we would become, what was, the, what was the story of Dune? Isn't that what it was? They lived this real long time, but the longer they lived, the more afraid of death they became. <laughs> the more selfish they became. But when death is the ultimate call, you know, then the only way to live on so that this worm does not die is in my children. And it doesn't have to be your children. It could be any children because you can pass this blessing on from generation to generation to whoever you pass it on to. And through your neighbor's children. And of course, it really has to go that way. Because you have to care about your neighbor's children as much as you care about your own. And this will give you life more abundant so that you may be resurrected. Because that is coming in the name of Christ. So anyway, back to this reading this. So it says all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple, which is where we started, and breaking bread from house to house. So again, we have this breaking of bread. Now everybody tell you that's communion. We go and we put a little host on your tongue. We break a little piece of bread off of our unleavened bread and put it on your tongue. And you do eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. The Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. Now, the church, again, is the word called out. And and so... We've made the church like if I go to church, I'm part of the church. I sign up. I become a member of this church. But Jesus had disciples who are those he called out. So those are the church of Jesus Christ, the called out of Jesus Christ. That was his little flock. The church is not necessarily referred to as all the congregations, except in the most general sense, because they're served by the called out. But 
it's very clear that if Jesus came to set the captive free, and according to the prophecy back in, in, in Leviticus, that he was to return every man to his possessions and every man to his family. He's not going to create a socialist state where 20% of your labor or 30% of your labor or 50% of your labor belongs to men who exercise authority. He just said it's not to be that way with us, so that's not what he's doing. So if that's what they mean by all things common, that's already contradictory to Christ, and we're still in the same Bible in the second chapter of the first thing outside of the gospel. Where in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and also in John, they're telling us not to be that way. So that doesn't make any sense. But if you realize when the disciple came up to him and he says, "How can what can I do to approach life, to have life, to come to life, to have this life, which is the tree of life, which is to have the Holy Spirit guiding you in your life? He says, you know, keep the commandments. Don't covet your neighbor's good, give to the poor. He says, I do all these things. Half of everything I have, I give to the poor. But still, I want more. He said, well, if you want eternal life. Now, what does that mean? Well, we I have an article up on eternal life. We won't go into it here because we're already, you know, well into the program. Uh, I'll, I'll go back here and take a look at the studio to see if uh, we have any calls with um, hands up. No, no hands up. And nobody asking a question. Okay, fine. We'll go back and finish where we were at because <laughs> we're running down here. So they're 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 not creating a socialist state. Somebody is breaking, and they say breaking here, but it's dividing the bread. And they're receiving this, and they're eating this meat, whatever it is. Is is it is it hamburgers, chicken? No. Well, we'll look at the words. And what do they mean with gladness and singleness of heart? They're eating at the table of Christ is what they're doing. Now, they have their own homes. Paul talks about this later. Don't everybody come to these feasts. You have your own homes. You go there. And and you widows, if you're still young enough to have children, you should get married and have children. You shouldn't fall on, you know, the needy of the church. You should, you know, become families and prosper. And uh, so they should be doing that. Now, they could marry a minister of the church or they could marry somebody who is not a minister, who is not a part of the called out. Now, your home churches, they're all saying, you know, we don't need ministers. Each of us are ministers. And, of course, I've said many times that if you organize in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, each of the congregants, because it's bottom up, are ministers to their minister. And their minister is their connection with all the other networks through a network of ministers so that everybody can actually love their neighbor as themselves and not just those that love them. They're they're going to love people. They're going to give charity to people they don't even know. But you you have to police this network from the bottom up so the responsibility is back in the hands of every congregant who must pick a minister. And they can pick one and they try them out. And then after a while, then maybe he wants to step down or maybe somebody else wants to step up. And they say, okay, we'll give this guy a... But the responsibility never leaves you. The hundreds of thousands of millions of dollars that seems to be in the wrong place, 
I won't say which branch of government that is in. Of course, we know that's the case in the federal government. Billions of dollars are missing up there. But there there was a board of directors supposedly watching all this, and they haven't got a clue that the money's even missing. They don't even know the amounts. They haven't been doing their job. But, of course, the reason they haven't been doing their job is the individual citizen. We can blame it all on the board. But the individual citizen hasn't been policing the board, the people in respo- who are responsible. They haven't been checking out. Do you guys know how much money the, you know, this institution for the county has been getting? You know, because they're all paying in the taxes. And they're paying for the bonds. But they they don't know what the board's doing. The board doesn't know what it's doing. I'm not sure the the guy in charge is known what he was doing. Somebody seemed to be finding out what he was doing, and they fired him. <laughs> but uh, long story, uh, we'll save that episode for later. <laughs> I may not be able to talk about. It. That's why I'm being ambiguous in all this. But the, the story goes. You know, we've talked about it before all across the country. School boards, hospital boards, county boards, they're all filled with corruption because the people are not doing what Christ said to do, to attend to the weightier matters. Your courts are out of control. Your boards are out of control. Your institutions are out of control because you haven't been taking responsibility. And you say, where's my rights? What about my rights? What about your responsibilities? When I see everybody clamoring for their responsibilities back, I will have more hope for them. Now, my hope is like a wisp of smoke. (laughs) It's still there, but you're going to have to give substance to it by actually taking back. That's why you can't just listen to these broadcasts. You have to get active in the way that the early church was and and. Frankly, most people don't know what that is, but the way you learn is on-the-job training. And and there will be, this is, repentance is a process, just like learning is a process. Walking is a process. And they continue daily with one accord in the temple, breaking that bread, dividing the bread, people eating this nourishment with gladness. I'm throwing out words here because this is where we're going. Praising God. And having favor with all the people. So all the people are not rightly dividing the bread. All the people are not selling all their stuff. That's not what's taking place here. The people find favor in these people who are accepting the teachings of the apostles, who are the little flock, who are the called out, who are appointed a kingdom, And like I was saying, that rich man who wanted this eternal life, this life even more abundant, because eternal can mean this larger life, larger than just of the people. He says, well, sell all you have. Sell all you have. Give to the poor and come follow me. And he says, everything. (laughs) Yeah. Everything. (laughs) You have to give it all up. You know, you have to give it to somebody else and and trust in God. Really? (laughs) And where do we see this? Well, of course, we saw it with the Levites. 
We saw it with a Levite by the name of Hoses in chapters 5 and 6 of Acts. But we didn't see it with Ananias. Ananias sold but kept some back hidden. And he dropped dead. Because <laughs> it's not right to cheat Christ. Don't do it. Don't try it. Not even a little bit. So clearly, and like I said, the home churches, they all say, oh, we don't need ministers. We're all ministers. They're absolutely right. You're all ministers. But do they know how to minister? Because every congregation is a free assembly, but it's also a board of directors. But it doesn't have exercising authority over their minister. They have exercising over the authority of what they give their minister, but they have to give it to their minister. And then he can report back to them what he did with it. Now, most board of directors, uh, like uh, the churches that I've seen locally, because I'm more familiar with them, they've actually come to me and asked, well, what do we do? What do we do about this? You know, they had a preacher they wanted to get rid of, and they come to me. To, <laughs> I said, you created them. You get rid of them. <laughs> like, basically, that's what I said. I wasn't quite so flippant with them. I tried to help them out. But they don't want to organize. See, they want to do it, and the churches to the north of me are even more so. This Most of them, not all of them. Because I don't really know what they're all doing. But they have a board, and it gets a lot of money in, a lot of donations, a lot of wealthy ranchers give to this, to the church. And the board holds all the money. And then the board pays a little salary to their minister to come up with good, inspiring sermons <laughs> on Sunday. But uh, they control the purse strings. And you know what that's like? And I've talked about this. It's like you're going to create a trust and you're going to put all your money in a trust and then you're going to run around the other side of the table and you're going to be the trustee of all your money. That, of course, is, that is a fiction and a fraud. That's not a trust. Not, you can't do that. You, you either let go or you don't. <laughs> if you let go, it's a burnt offering. If you don't let go, but that's just casting your bread upon the waters and then you, you see, well, how are they handling it? But you get to change ministers anytime you want. Every day's election day. Your offering is a votive offering. You can actually give money to two different ministers at the same time. Because you, you want to, and we, you could do it to three. And we, of course, we can see Christ do this or in his parables where he gives, you know, five denarii, three denarii, or two denarii, and one denarii. And, uh, and then he comes back to see how they done with it. And the guy who did well with it, he gets more. You can do that, but you need to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands to set the record straight because there's a pattern here. Now, the pattern isn't king, but, you know, if you want to start connecting the shin bone to the elbow bone, you're going to get one of those monsters. (laughs) There's a pattern we should stick to, and Christ laid down that pattern. Moses laid down that pattern. And tell you the truth, we can go all the way back to Melchizedek and even back farther than that to Methuselah before the flood. They were using that pattern. Where do you think Nimrod got it? Problem was that Nimrod was top down. This is bottom up. So yes, all the congregants are ministers. But the job of the minister is not to tickle your ear. It's not to be your comforter. It is not to tell people what the Holy Spirit says all the time. It's to tell people they need to hear from the Holy Spirit too. 
But when they're going the wrong way, we can bring that up. Every one of us can bring that up. And every one of us has a responsibility to bring that up. Like the guy said, I I didn't want to say anything. Well, you knew he was going down. There was no bridge down there. Yeah, but I didn't want to interfere. He seemed to want to go there really bad. But you knew the bridge was out. He didn't know the bridge was out. Yeah, but I don't want to boss people around. What are you talking about? You have a responsibility to speak the truth. But you should be led by the Holy Spirit. So anyway, I get into this Acts 2. Uh, These last four verses of Acts 2 seems to impose a difficulty to modern theologians and the translators that serve their interests. We examine verse 44 at all things in common, which is where we have a link to it. And so you can go and read that. We're not going to concentrate on that because I hope to wind this up pretty quick. There's a lot more information on this page than I'm going to go through. But basically, uh, we have seen in this verse 42, this word proskurt, because it's actually because of its place in the sentence it has a a little bit of a a suffix on the end that tells you more about the word but that's basically the the whole word is what we talked about originally but is translated steadfastly continuing while in verse 46 the same word is seen as continuing daily because of this other term that because of the other terms that are at the beginning of the sentence that have to do with day. Daily doesn't put there at the end of that continuing because of the word at the beginning of the verse has to do with day or day by day, which is one of the translations that we see is that it's done day by day. Uh, In the King James, I think it says daily, but in others you'll see day by day, they continued in one accord. And it says in the temple. But of course, that word in the temple is is a word is a Greek word that is translated uh, temple every time it appears in the Bible. But it actually means that the defining thing is a sacred place, a temple. Used of the temple of Artemis, and the temple of Ephesus, and the temple of Jerusalem, they're all called this temple. Now, Many times you'll hear me talk about it, that the apostles are working daily in the temple because it seems to be saying that. But I will fully admit that they may not have been working daily in the temple. I think they were for other reasons. The confrontation with Ananias and why Ananias, if it was the same Ananias, I think it was. I haven't been able to prove this because I can't find the name of the original Ananias who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas. And I think that's who it was. But I can't prove it. So it may have just been another Ananias. But based on what he did, I'm suspecting it was that because now according to the Roman Empire who said that Jesus Christ is king and these are the apostles that came out professing Jesus Christ and everybody knows they're apostles and so therefore they're the ambassadors of his government and they're appointing men daily to the church. That means the ecclesia who are selling everything they have because Christ very clearly said that to be one of my disciples, you must sell everything you have and come follow me. And when he says have, that word is the Greek word for property. You must sell all your property. And of course, we see Hoses doing that, becoming Barnabas. He lays the money at the foot of the apostles. And he says, okay, so he's become a part of the corporation of Christ. It's not a golem because, but in a sense, it's like a golem. 
Golem are man-created corporations. The corporation of Christ is a God-created corporation, created by Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ is still ruling it through the Holy Spirit. But, of course, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit in order for that to actually take place. You don't want to try to counterfeit that. That's why when people say, are you his holy church? Well, we have the website. <laughs> uh, we have documents that say his holy church on it. But we are, we are humble servants who aspire to be his holy church. Only he can say who we are. So we're not bearing witness to that. We're telling you what we seek to be. We're, we're not saying if you don't join us, you're not saved or anything like that. I don't know. I'm not in charge of your salvation. Christ is. But I can tell you this. If you don't go the way of Christ, you're probably not saved. If you go the way of Nimrod, you're probably be a worker of iniquity. And that when you think you're going to be saved, you may say, I don't know you. You don't know me. You worker of iniquity. And I can say that because he said that. I'm just saying what he said. You know. Don't kill the messenger. I'm just repeating what is already written down long before me. So, I think they were actually in the temple, geographically speaking, but the kingdom of God is not about geography. Being Israel, being Zion, is not about geography. When they eventually left, and, and certainly almost all the apostles left one way or the other, the temple of Jerusalem, I've, I've mentioned some of the people that were still Christians and disciples of Christ that were still in Jerusalem at the fall of Jerusalem, but they actually survived. So I'm not sure where they survived. They may have walked out and stood outside, but they were there when they were under siege. And one of those is Nicodemus, which we'll talk more extensively about when we go through the Gospel of John and find out what his significance is. And we'll probably make references to the Gospel of Nicodemus because it probably is an authentic Gospel of Nicodemus. It's it's an apocrypha. But the only reason we're consulting is the same reason we consult dictionaries and concordances and language and history, you know, because they're mentioning all kinds of people in the Bible. I mentioned Tiberius. But it doesn't tell you much about them. They mention Pontius Pilate, but they don't tell you much about them. But the more you know about them, the more you know they mention the laws of Rome. They mention centurions. They mention the soldiers of the Sanhedrin. They mention the soldiers of Herod Antipas. So knowing the history of those people, which they don't tell you in the Bible, will help you understand the Bible better. But ultimately, what helps you understand the Bible is the Holy Spirit. So I give you little bits and pieces, but I'm always pointing towards the kingdom and the Holy Spirit is to be your constant guide. So what I've done here, down in the green on the page, uh, you know, I also pointed out uh, a reference to Lamentations 4. And that was actually when I was looking up some of these words. Uh, there is a Greek copy of the Lamentations. You know, it wasn't originally written in Greek, obviously, but the Septuagint uh, put it in Greek. So there are words in this that are connected to words in Acts 2. Uh, and there's a couple of words that I really can see. I mean, the, the AI translators constantly stumped at these words. 
Clontes is one of them, uh, which we find in a phrase there in this verse 46, which has to do with this idea of breaking uh, bread from house to house. They really struggle with this sentence because Clontes is almost found nowhere uh, in, in text. It comes from a word that's much shorter, but it means much more here. And, and the same with the word one accord, omotai maden. Uh, what does that mean? Homo, thai, madan. Well, the O-N is just telling you where it appears in the sentence. But all these these words, uh, some of the, you know, this is one of the things Peter, uh, not Peter, but Paul does for sure. I think Peter does it a little bit, but Paul does it for sure. He makes up Greek words, a language where you can do that. They're not used anywhere else in any other Greek literature anywhere. They're only used that way in Paul. And that's reasonable because Paul's creating these words because he's talking about something that everybody had forgotten about. And the words that they used to have that meant certain things were no longer any good. We see this in the evolution of language, which is why we ended up with the word exousia. Is that this exousia was this word for liberty. They replaced the Greek word eleutheria. You know, by the time that you had, uh, you know, Athens' great philosophers, Aristotle and them, Aristotle was the first one to say it, that this word would replace eleutheria, which no longer meant real liberty. Now, why did he say that? Well, of course, he was in a city-state. <laughs> and that city-state was becoming a city of blood. I mean, it had its golden statue, just like they tried to do out there in the desert. And it, we've already talked about that golden statue. Why is that significant? Well, that's the Reserve Bank. They already had their central bank. Well, you got your central bank. See, people think, oh, well, we just get the right king in power, the right president in power, we'll fix this. No, you have to repent. You have to seek the kingdom of heaven, and you have to persevere in that quest. If you do it with us, great. I, I think that's great. If you do it with somebody else, okay, you can do that. And I don't, but before you go to somebody else who's doing this, let me know, because I would like to know if there are more people doing this. I, I see little bits and pieces. I see kingdom trail in a lot of people. But I don't see people actually doing it. So I put the Greek down here, and I'm not trying to teach you Greek, but I'm just showing you where I get this. So all these words, and I have footnotes there, so you can look up these words, like contus. Now, if you look, it comes from uh, Cleo, which uh, I thought I had more in the footnotes. I must have them somewhere else where I put the footnotes. Oh well, yeah, down here. Uh, I, you know, one of the words that you're gonna. Uh, come across in that same phrase is artos. And artos is another word that they have a lot of trouble with. It It's translated uh, a number of funny different ways, but it, bread, loaves, show bread, if it comes with another word uh, or two, they'll add to it and they'll come up with show bread. But it means food. And it says composed of flour mixed with water and baked. But there's another word that is less specifically, not 
specifically bread, and bread is not specifically bread, but it is, it, it's translated meat in the context, but it's actually this word trophy, uh, which is uh, food uh, that can be considered to be nourishment. And uh, and it actually is connected to that word artos uh, in a roundabout sort of way. But anyway, they uh, they're connected because it's all about. And of course, this is when you go back to Nimrod. Nimrod was a mighty hunter before the Lord, and the word hunter there is normally food. It's victuals. Uh, it is you know it is the resource of food that you have. And so that's what they're talking about. And if you will already know that the uh, the altars of clay and stone, the altars of Jehovah Nisi, the these altars that were set up by Abraham, and the altars that you know where they were, he was setting up in all these communities round about him. He was setting up these altars, and supposedly we're all supposed to believe that all those guys started burning up sheep in order to honor God and worship God. But what they were actually doing is creating a social welfare system that was based on charity. Now, they could join cities like Sumer and these other cities with their turtle dove goddesses. But they had all become cities of blood because they were all dependent. Eventually, I don't know if that's the way they started, but they all became dependent upon the sacrifice of the people that was compelled by the civil government. And, of course, that doomed their civilizations, and they're all gone, and nobody knows what. They reached this high level of civilization, and they all disappeared, or they all go. Some were defeated, and some of them became so weak. And we find places across Europe that had big cities built, plumbing, piped water all over, you know, even Rome, you know, had its aqueducts. What happened to it? Well, I have a little bit better understanding of what happened to Rome. But Rome became so weak. And their government became so corrupt and their justice system was so faulty and fake that it just fell apart. Now, by 300 AD, they knew it was falling apart. So you had Constantine saying, you know, the Christians are, this is working out good for them. They're surviving and thriving, even though we've been persecuting them off and on for 100 years, 200 years. And besides that, I don't have enough money for my army. I have to get the people contributing because all the people are becoming fat and lazy. Now, where would you see that? (laughs) Somebody sent me a picture of like five major heads of health departments in countries like Canada, of course, the United States, uh, Belgium, uh, Great Britain. They're all extremely overweight, looks extremely unhealthy people, and they're in charge of health. For the whole nation. What on earth? <laughs> you know, you know, but of course you got guys swimming at the women's swim meet. So uh, delusion begets delusion. But one of the delusions here is in these four verses. That somehow we think that they're giving a communion. And so I, I put all this stuff together. That they were daily continuing in one accord with what, in accord with the apostles' doctrine, which was the uh, doctrine of Christ, 
that you were to live by faith, hope, and charity. You were not to go to men who exercised authority one over the other for your daily bread. You weren't to pray to the fathers of the earth for your daily bread, but our Father in heaven. And how do you do that? You do that by learning to care about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself in a system of charity. Not legal charity, fervent charity, regular charity, giving charity, lifeblood charity. You know, there used to be this remedy that they had in England. Uh, It wasn't just England. It was all over Europe. Bleeding people. And actually with men in some conditions, bleeding them can help because men can have an accumulation of iron that can make them weak. And bleeding them sometimes will stimulate the system so that the system will start to generate new blood. And with that new blood uh, and maybe a less concentration of iron, the person will perk up out of it. Personally, I think it's way better to do fasting and prayer (laughs) because that will jumpstart your system as well. There's a number of ways of jumpstarting your system. But if you live according to the Holy Spirit, you'll know what that is to do. But uh, the reality is, is that giving, fervently giving to the men of your choice, to whoever you want to give to, and I, I recommend that you learn to do it to the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And that you do it in, yeah, you want to do it in banking. Do you think that banking is really a safe place to put all your money? Everybody wants to be able to start a bank account. Well, yeah, it could be. Certainly not a central bank. But a way, learning how to transfer funds and all that, there's lots of different ways, and, and that's going to be changing as, as time goes on. So... But the reality is is that giving, giving of yourself. And like you said, well, what can I do here? Well, you can get on 100 groups. You can get on 10 groups and share the articles with them. Go through the website, read the articles, find typos, let's fix them. Uh, you know, whatever you can do, whatever the Holy Spirit guy, just work at spreading the Great Commission, the real gospel, the whole gospel. And then start creating a system. And, yeah, like when we first started learning how this works, how to heal people, I learned a lot about how to uh, how healing works with George when we took care of George. I can, I've learned a lot about Alzheimer's patients by taking care of me. You know, my wife was mostly the one taking care of but taking care of the elderly people. My daughters were learning this. And now my granddaughters are, are starting to learn this. But if we were to take over a hospital or take over a convalescent home first, uh, we would need all kinds of people that were willing to sacrifice in order to get the the ball rolling. We'll need people supporting them. They will need to work for maybe less than they would normally work for because we're not going to be taking the benefits from the men who exercise authority. But right now, I know you where such facilities are sitting empty. I know where hospitals are sitting empty all over the country. And they're being vandalized and destroyed. Just like these civilizations that had all this plumbing and these massive structures and everything. But the people living in them uh, a thousand years ago, 500 years ago, they can't even repair them. They don't know how. And they don't have the means to do it. Well, the guys who originally built them, all the means were right there on those islands in Crete or what have you. What they don't have is the culture of the kingdom. So they can't build it. 
they can use things up, but they can't build them. We have to, we have to begin to learn to the ways of the kingdom, so that if either us or our sons and daughters will be a part of rebuilding after the destruction to come, or maybe just do it in hopes that uh, maybe God will be there for us because we started being there for one another, like Samuel says. Because you're not going to hear the cries of the other people. Because you're not going to take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. Because you wanted a chief executive officer who will do your responsible things for you. When you cry out, I'm not going to hear you. Because you didn't hear others. And of course, we know that's the strategy of the evil that's in the world today is to get you to stop caring. I'm trying to get you to care. But according to the ways of the kingdom. So I'm not going to go to all, through all this Greek, but it's there. People, I, I will probably add to this, but you can see in the side notes, I have links to the articles on John the Baptist. Clearly, John the Baptist offered a different baptism than, the Herod, than Herod and the Pharisees who were making the word of God to none effect by signing up people for their system of sacrifice, their system of Corbin. And Jesus forbid his followers from being like those socialists or communist governments who claim to be the benefactors of the masses but exercise authority one over the other where the teeth of government bite your neighbors so that you can have more free stuff. You have to become what you're supposed to be and stop complaining about what they have become because they became what they have become on our watch because we weren't really the church the church that the people would find favor in. The people who want their ears tickled, they like the you know this church or that. I won't name the churches because they're very good at tickling your ears and making you feel like you're saved and making you feel like you're right. Just It's kind of like those insurance companies that put the commercial on that says, because you can enjoy what you have when you think you're protected. <laughs> It gives you comfort to know that you think you're protected. And I thought, they're putting that phraseology in the commercial. They're not saying you're protected. They're just saying there's great comfort in thinking you're protected. Well, that's what I see in the churches. You're not saved. You're still a worker of iniquity. But you pay lots of money to ministers who are multimillionaires now because they can make you think you're saved. <laughs> and you take great comfort in thinking you're saved. But you're actually still a worker of iniquity. You're not keeping his commandments. And so all things in common, like I say, you can go to that article and read more about that. And I've gone long enough on this topic. But it has nothing to do with everybody selling everything they have having nothing and becoming what they used to call a mendicant minister and just becoming a burden to everybody else. Even the church didn't do that. What they, that there was Levite property around. They just couldn't own it as a personal estate. They could sell it, but any other Levite could come and redeem it back because they didn't have lawful title. All they had was legal title. 
I'll give you an example. The Catholic Church does something similar to this, but I'm going to give you this example so you know what the difference is. The Catholic Church will come into a parish where there's enough Catholics to do this, and they will loan the parish money so that they can build a church. And then the parish will pay the money back to the Catholic Church, to the Catholic Church bank, at interest. And they will pay all the money that was loaned them at interest, and it will go back to the Catholic Church. But still, after they've done this, if the number of Catholics diminish enough in that area and they can't boost the Catholic support and becomes too expensive to maintain the property, the Catholic Church will dissolve the diocese and sell the church property, and they will get the money, not the not the congregation, not the the local ministers and everything, because they're a top-down organization, which Christ didn't create, which Moses didn't create. Remember the stones of the altar in the days of Abraham and the days of Moses were unhewn stones. There wasn't going to be a stone upon a stone. They weren't going to exercise authority one over the other because Christ says it was not to be that way with you. So that minister is going, if a minister puts together a church or a chapel and people donate to him and he does that, of course, we hope our churches will be like convalescent homes and all that sort of thing, you know, to take care of the needy. Of course, the needy should be taken care of in their family. But I can see us creating a convalescent home that would take old people and require that family members come there and work. They come not just to visit their parents, but they come to work three hours, 10 hours a week, 15 hours a week, and learn how to take care of their parents. Maybe their parents need 24-hour care and they can't do it. But they come and maybe they get other members of their congregation to come and learn how to do it too. Of course, we're going to use a lot of different methods than than I've seen, you know, my wife and I met working in a convalescent home. So we're familiar with that to some degree. But we're also familiar with what we should be doing for people. And I'm sure there's a whole lot I haven't learned yet. And I know some of you out there are learning that. But it's going to take a lot of overtime to do what we need to do. And I... I won't go into the rest of it. I can I can see other things that could happen down the road. We don't know if we'll ever get in there. We're watching. We have people on the ground watching it really close. But the critical thing, and whatever we do here, we want it to be a microcosm of what you do in your own communities and that people will go out and use this as an in-sample or example of what they can do. But taking care of the elderly, taking care of our parents, that's a prime directive. It's right in the Ten Commandments. Uh, Taking care of the needy of society, that's right in the gospel throughout the thing. But doing it a certain way, the means and the method that we use, will start bringing people back. Ultimately, what we learn in that process, what I have learned in that process, may pay off farther down the road. But remember, we're in the process of repenting and seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And we will learn most of that as we walk in the way of Christ. 
and this is a good prelude. I will eventually, we'll come back to Acts. Uh, next week, we will be starting in John, uh, at least in the afternoon show, we'll be starting in John, and we'll take it from there. Now, I, like I say, sometime this week, I'm going to be on a radio broadcast that's already started in John. I should get up early and listen to that, <laughs> but I don't have any time to do it now because I think I'm on the next show. I don't know if it's on weekly. But anyway, uh, until then, let me look back and see if there's any hands raised, no hands raised, no questions. Uh, so anyway, so anyway, um, until then, peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless. Thanks everybody for coming. Everybody in the chat room, everybody over there in the side panel. Thank you for coming. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.